What's up, Bikemer fans? I'm here at Van Duet's headquarters in Missouri. If you're unfamiliar with Van Duet, they do custom conversions of Ford Transits mainly and will build out in a modular way whatever kind of custom van you guys want for any sort of adventure. And so I'm sitting here with two of their folks. So I'm going to let them introduce them so that you know whose voice is whose. And then for this first episode of three parts that we're going to do, uh, this one we're just going to kind of talk about like a lot of general stuff, a lot of the questions many of you have when you think you want a custom van, you're just not quite sure where to start, some of the main options, some of the things about like how to pick the right size and the warranties and, and you know everything else. So let's dive in and let you guys start by introducing yourselves. Okay, hey, I am Brent Klein, and uh, they uh, affectionately call me the heavy um, for a few different reasons, and I'll leave that to your imagination. I um, have been in the, in the uh, old van RV fun business, um, you know, really my, my whole life, and uh, I come from uh, uh, a family that, you know, has done RVs as far back as I can remember and as far back as my father can remember, so, um, uh, so that's, that's, that's kind of, that's who I am. All right. And I'm Jared McCausland. I am a co-founder with Brent, and they also nicknamed me the Mad Scientist, uh, the creator behind these bad beasts. And uh, I bring in just, you know, from childhood, I bring in all the different things I used to love to do, like the shows, like Pit My Ride and other shows. Uh, kind of got, was able to take all those things uh, that I learned over a course of, you know, 10 years of working just with a lot of different people be able to compile it all into these vans that we produce every day yeah it's got to be fun almost like a, a dream job then just sort of getting to play with ideas and and see them come to fruition because you guys have your own little shop here where you can kind of mock stuff up it is it is it's uh it's one of those things where um you know we we don't call ourselves custom builders you know we're a little more a la carte style but it's crazy every van that leaves is custom in its own way because it's we have very rarely built two of the same exact van uh, but, you know, we get to throw in audio systems, we get to throw in TVs, we get to throw in all the cool stuff. But, um, you know, we also keep to the modular systems that make our vehicles what they are, how they're valuable, is, is, is they are uh, minimalist vehicles. But, you know, we, we build full-size high-top uh, Quigleys. You know, they're, they're full off-road units, um, full off-grid vehicles with solar and everything. So even though, you know, we, we stick to the basics, um, we still cover a massive broad spectrum of, of all those different features that people want and need when going, you know, to races, going off-grid, going to all these different events they want to go to. Cool. So for for you guys' purposes, um, you know, I know you want to promote Van Duet, obviously, because mm -hmm. this is your your livelihoods here and also your passion, but we're going to have a full factory tour on bikerumor.com with video and photos and everything. It really shows what Van Duet does. So the, the purpose of these next couple episodes is more to just sort of talk in generalities about some of the features and, and items that people might want to consider or that they should know about when they're trying to pick a van. So let's start with kind of one of the, the big ones, I think, when people are looking at it. Diesel or gas? It's kind of a trick question. You know, it's... Um uh, for for us and the way we do things, um, it comes down to uh, you know mechanics. It comes down to service. It comes down to longevity of the vehicle. Um, not just that, but it also ties into you know what what we think about is is customers. You know what are they pulling? What are they using the van for? Like let's break it down to 
uh, and, and I, I do the final build approval with all of our customers and that's one thing I ask them whenever we get down to the chassis and figure out what they need is you know what's your uses what's your needs and and we build um, almost a hundred percent gas and it's because of the EcoBoost um, that Ford offers in their gas motors uh, which it, is a turbo which essentially. is a, correct yeah so it's a turbo um, and it, because of the features that the EcoBoost adds to the gas motor you know uh, you buy diesel because you know it everyone tells you it's gonna last longer um, it can run for more miles and not just that but you're gonna get better gas mileage um, while pulling something because of of your torque levels um, because you know when you pull it's all about torque when you want to drive fast it's all about horsepower um, and whenever you put a turbo on top of a motor you start to kind of really change that ratio um, and you know we look at we look at what's the best thing for a customer as far as service longevity all those different things um, there's no lie that a, a diesel motor is built just by how it runs to last longer but how much more expensive is it going to be to actually uh, for it to outweigh you know the, the cost of a gas so up front a diesel is more expensive um, also oil changes are almost three to four times that of a gas hmm. uh, not just that but whenever parts if you think about it you know the Ford Transit is one of the most high, highest produced vehicles on the market so parts are minimal cost on their 3.5 EcoBoost compared to the diesel because the diesel in a transit is actually specific to the transit and you know probably for every hundred EcoBoost out there there might be maybe one diesel because um, the EcoBoost I think they use in other models they do so the 3.5 EcoBoost is actually brought out of the Explorer it's brought out of the uh, F-150 and it's, it is an exact replica and so when you look at gas prices um, you look at oil changes and maintenance and you kind of add all those things up. Part, parts availability parts availability you, you add all these things up um, and you really start to look at just the upfront expense of the EcoBoost being cheaper uh, than the diesel and then you look at it can tow relatively just as much um, by Ford standards um, you know how much they say the motors can do they actually don't rate the vehicles to those amounts and so really your EcoBoost is going to do everything that you can do or that you should do with the vehicle and so you know for us you know we push people the direction of and we don't push them they you know it, it becomes just tell them the facts and, yeah and it becomes and makes sense to people why you go with the gas uh, because you know oil changes you know people people understand gas motors way better than they understand diesels uh, when you go to a Ford mechanic which you're gonna find one in every small town you know they've all worked on the EcoBoost you know they've all worked on the gas motors um, not everyone has worked on a diesel um, and in a lot of cases um, it takes a diesel mechanic to really know what's going on with a vehicle and, right. and not you, every shop has that access right. to not just parts but the diesel mechanic Right. So, so we li we like to say, um, Tyler, that uh, uh, these vans are built to go to the middle of nowhere, mm -hmm. and uh, there's a Ford dealer with a <laughs> a uh, technician that understands the the gas engine in the middle of nowhere. Right. And right. so we want it to be something that's um, just very convenient for the customer. So once 
we lay out those facts the way Jared did, they, they choose the guess. Yeah. I would imagine, I know you guys build most with Ford Transits, if not just about exclusively, uh, but the same logic applies to somebody looking at a Mercedes or any other brand mm-hmm. you know, for the Sprinters and stuff. Absolutely does. Yeah. Yes. Cool. Okay. So let's talk about size then, because I know you know both the Sprinter and the Transit offer different wheelbase lengths and different extensions beyond that to go from like a small low roof to a mid roof to a high roof to a long to an extra long. What's how do you coach people through which size vehicle to pick? For us, you know, with the with the body sizes you have to narrow it down because we start with passenger vans. You know, most builders start with cargos. We start with passengers because we're getting the safety. We're getting the harnesses. We're getting the headliner, the drop curtain airbags, um, rear AC and heat. We're, we're getting a lot of features where we start with the passenger that you don't with the cargo. So that right off the bat changes um, a few options that we have the ability of, of going with. And so, um, you know, whenever we we start to look at the different body lengths, so we have the ability of building on the T350. Uh, We do build, uh, uh, not regularly, on the T150, which is the half ton. Uh, It's the smaller box. It's a shorter wheelbase. We've done that for a couple people, but we've only done a few. And it's because you start to get in a pretty tight box, I guess you could say. Um, and it works well for one person traveling by themselves, but most people are wanting to use our vans to, you know, not just sleep in it. They want to be able to haul things. They want the load capacities. You know, they want to be able to put more in them. And so we really help coach um, our buyers to try to figure out, and we it typically narrows down to two things. Roof height, which is a mid-roof or high roof. Um, and then it comes down to... Uh, two links which is the long wheelbase and then they have the el and it is a little confusing because if you compare the transit to the mercedes mercedes has like four different wheelbase links Mm. but they only have three different links of boxes which is your actual living space transit does um, for the t350 everything's the same wheelbase now the passenger at el which is the extra long gains you about 28 usable inches um, long ways inside the van and it just sticks off the back and it of just, the rear wheels correct yep and it is a dually so um, you know so that that right there is, is a big thing for a lot of people and that's where you know through the process you know especially you know at the end whenever it comes time to do final build approvals with a customer I, I get very down to the facts and make it very transparent of what you're getting because you know we want everything that a customer's looking for in a vehicle I want to make sure that's what they're going to pick up the day they come and it starts to become questions of you know are, are you good with driving big vehicles um, is your wife good with driving big vehicles are your kids or husband or husband <laughs> right mm-hmm. and again actually a lot of times that's how it ends up being and because um, people are comfortable with what they're comfortable with um, the standard t350 we build on is really no different as far as perimeters are than a suburban and so a lot, when you relate it like that, mo- no one really has the issue with the T350, which is what we build, 95% of what we build on. And generally speaking, that extra 28 inches are for the bike repair shops, the mobile repairs, um, the people who, you know, want like, you know, very large, you know, inside features. You know, they want a desk to have multiple screens that would still have a bed mm-hmm. full behind them, you know. 
business it, kind of a lot of business oriented a lot of business oriented yeah and so or people like me that tend to bring too much stuff with them on every trip mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah that guy too. I, I seriously consider the the extra long one but i think for me what was sort of the, really the only thing unappealing about it was the dually fact and not because i don't want extra tires but it's because the, that extra set of wheels encroaches on Correct. interior space a little bit and so it makes some of the things you guys do or maybe even like a slide out tray mm-hmm. A little smaller correct so yeah and and not only that Tyler but you know we we talk a lot in this business about the sweet spot there seems to be a Mm -hmm. sweet spot to everything whether you're talking a bat in baseball or a middle of a tennis racket and it's true in life and it's true with these vans and it it seems like the sweet spot does end up for most people being the the t350 long wheelbase not extra long wheelbase Um, and as Jared says part of that is because on the 150 you know you're you're limiting how much you can haul or tow um, and then on the extra long it it becomes kind of a a parking issue you know uh, how 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 well do you like driving in a longer you know a longer van and a wider you know something that feels wider with the Deweys so most people opt for for what Jared said that we build on probably 90% of the time yeah. which is is the uh, T350 long wheelbase okay and so when you're adding all of this stuff, well, let's roof height real quick. Like, I'm of the impression, let me just get as much space as possible because then I have more options. But, like, why would somebody want, like, a mid-height as opposed to the tallest one? It kind of comes back to preference, just like the length. So, in EL, you know, you have to think about other ways of, of parking, things like that. Roof height is the exact same um issue that people can run into it's you know one thing i tell people is if you want to kill fast food and don't have that in your diet <laughs> don't get a high roof because you're not going to drive, no, drive if, through if you want to kill fat fast food you get a high roof. get yeah. a high roof you <laughs> won't fit under the it, you won't yeah, fit under <laughs> right and that that becomes for some people where they live where they go um a mid roof takes you out of play of all that anyway so then it just boils down to what are you using the inside of the van for myself personally uh, I'm six feet tall. I can't stand up straight in a midriff. I would still get a midriff because for what I use our vans for day to day, I do a ton of construction outside of van do it. Um, I use it for, you know, loading plywood. I use it for loading things, but then, you know, I use it for sleeping as well. I can still use a kitchen pot and still use everything, but I'm not full time standing inside the van toward that's not a feature that's needed for me. And so I care more about drivability. You know, I want to be able to do 85 across Kansas where it's flat and you're getting pounded by winds the whole time. Right. And you don't feel like you're a massive sale. Hmm. And that's, you know, some people are like, hey, we want to be able to stand. You know, we want that height. We want the vertical storage abilities. You know, we want double bunk beds in the back. And, and that's, you know, as, as Brent and I talk about all the time, you know, there's, there's just give and take in all of it. You know, we try to put a whole house inside these things, but sometimes it just comes down to would you rather fight some winds to be able to stand up straight and cook or do you care more about being able to be a little more stealthy when you go to races that's the thing that i would say that people who feel that they want to prepare their meal in their van um they they unless they're not tall like i'd say five seven um then they should probably go with a high roof because about the only time you're really standing in the van as a personal use um um vehicle is really cooking uh, the rest of the time you're you're sitting or you're laying now on the other hand we saw a lot of vans for commercial use not just the el a lot of times when people do the el the extra long 
it's because they're going to do uh, personal and business. But they do that on the T350 80% of the time as well. And um, so if that, if that business use um, is like an internal showroom where you're actually, let's say you're a, a snowboard um, rep and you want to be able to go into that, that store, pull the, the operator out to show them your current line of snowboards, get away from all the interruptions. Well, there you're standing all day. And in that scenario, you, you need a high roof. Right. So that's, that's a good example anyway. Okay. So let's say somebody gets a fully loaded one. They're adding basically all the bells and whistles. What? How much weight does that add to a stock vehicle? With how we start with the passenger van, by the time you factor the removal of the seats, your the removal of some other features, we actually complement the weight back to where the vehicle actually sits no heavier than actually where it started with all 15 passenger seats. Right. Uh, because we're using things like lightweight plastics, we're using honeycombs. So, you know, inch material that looks like it's solid, you know, it's a honeycomb base. Right. Kind of a corrugation. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's cool. I saw yeah. some of the, the loose bits in the warehouse. Right. And uh, so you'll be able to see that in the, the tour. But, um, all right, so I, I was kind of going somewhere with that question mm -hmm. in a couple of different places. Um, the first is like, all right, so if it doesn't add a lot of weight, it's probably not tremendously affecting engine life. But that was one of the questions some of our, our readers had was like, okay, well, when you build one of these out, like, what is the engine life? What happens to the warranty? How is tire wear and suspension wear and transmission and all that when you're driving around a vehicle that's full of stuff? Mm -hmm. The short answer is uh, we are a partner with Ford, and so we don't do anything to change the warranty whatsoever. Um, in fact, um, as Jared mentioned, we, we stick with the Ford seats for safety purposes. Um, and so anything, we, we like to say that we complement Ford's engineering and safety, we don't compromise it. So that's really the, the short answer. And, and because the weight is a swap, you know, it, it, uh, it doesn't have any impact. Also keep in mind that the van is intended to haul, you know, 15 passengers. Right. That it, typically now it's easy for the van because it's not hauling that much weight. So. Uh, that helps out a lot. And what they do is, is, is you know, your motor in all any vehicle, like anyone looking at like the new vehicles, you know, speed, transmission, all that stuff comes into play. And Ford, whenever they create the vehicle, they 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 look at it as every seat belt is so much weight added when it's loaded. So they actually gear the vehicle for that. Now, in some cases, um, you know, if you're a really light build, like our, our Duvan, for instance, and, and you have nothing inside it, you know, all seats are removed, everything's removed, and it's just down to the skeleton. Sometimes it's like, well, I kind of wish it wasn't geared the way it is simply because, you know, I might be able to get a little better fuel mileage. But when you load it down, it won't drive any different. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's the one great thing that we hear back from our customers sometimes is, you know, it's like, hey, when this thing's fully loaded or not fully loaded, mountain or not, they pretty much almost drive the same all the time. It's because Ford, with how we start with a passenger van, they kind of gear it for, for all that the, weight. For all that right. weight. So we have a customer. You've probably seen pictures that has a snowmobile that he hauls in the back <laughs> of his van. We have customers that put two or three motorcycles in the back, and because it's geared for all those passengers and all that weight, it handles it perfectly. Interesting. Yeah. So is a cargo van geared similarly to the passenger vans then? Because imagine. They assume people will be hauling a lot of cargo in a cargo van. They're not always geared the same way. You can get them geared the same way if it's right. like a custom order, you know, one-off. But what what 
typically, you know, most DIYers are going to use is off-lease units. And when, um, like a know, cargo, like a cargo, just like we do. Well, passenger vans, when they're off lease, are typically geared really for that additional weight. Well, you know, if you're talking about like an enterprise, you're talking about companies who, you know, they, they look at the easiest thing to get, right? And so the biggest factor for them is, is yes, you can get a cargo van to gear the same way and run like how a passenger van will. But on the flip side, uh, they, they want them to be able to run with not a lot of weight. If you think about it, you know, um, Amazon trucks, for instance, you know, they're they're carrying packages that are typically boxes full of kind of no weight. Right. And so they're going to care more about... A lot about, of space, not a lot of weight. Right. And so they're going to care about probably not worried about, you know, fully maxing them out at their weight capacities. Okay. And so they're going to gear them a little different. It's another advantage to the passenger right. van versus a cargo van. So somebody, I, I know, and again, you guys provide the vans... But the, a lot of times, you know, somebody looking at it, they're trying to find a van, and then they go to get it customized. So for somebody looking at it, now I know when you go, like when I went on the Ford or Sprinter's website, there's like all these transmission options and mm -hmm. a, a lot of other options that we'll talk about in this episode and some of the ones coming up. But like, which, like what's the ratio somebody should look for if they're buying a van elsewhere and then coming to get it? customized when you say uh ratio. well there's like gear ratios right like there's different oh. options i look at that and it's like greek to me but <laughs> okay so um i do want to be i think you know this tyler but but as we're sitting here i just want to be clear that we're a van company and so i wouldn't want to lead people to believe that that if they do go buy a van that that we will build on that van so um we order the vans and and we know how we should order them and so we order them and in a way that best fits what we do and then when a person buys the van they buy the the entire package the van the the all the upfitting that we do etc cetera, etc cetera. so but but to your question as far as like uh the best gear ratio to get um that is that is a kind of a geeky kind of a question <laughs> so it is. i'm gonna let jared yeah, answer it, that it, exact question it, it it boils down to um if you're looking at your specific use like for us we look at what is what is median line what makes the most sense across the board um now it's a little bit tricky because in 2020 transmissions change up until then they had one transmission but you could change rear and gear ratios. You can you, know, you do limited slip. You could do a, a you know you could do three seven three or four tens. You could do a lower one if you went to the diesel. But um, three three one was the other ratio. Going up to the new one is now it's a ten speed transmission. So the transmission's really starting to do a lot of the work that like a gear ratio used to have to do toward, the work toward up. gas mileage. Right. Yeah. And you know it, it kind of everything was controlled by you know what gears in the at the bottom um you know like uh so a lot of your heavy working trucks for instance like your ton trucks they're all going to have four tens in them but it's going to hurt your fuel mileage um because it's having to it, it's it's built to carry more weight easier um but the fuel mileage is kind of the byproduct of that in a sense okay. and so, so a higher number means less fuel less fuel economy. Okay. So yeah. that's but also means consider. higher so higher gear ratios like a 410 instead of like a 373 higher number of a 410 means lower fuel mileage but more towing capacity M more low end power 
Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you're dropping. What you're doing is you're dropping those gears down to a lower point. Okay. Um, so if you were going to build out a really heavy vehicle, like mm -hmm. like let's say, and this is getting getting into my, one of my next questions is like a lot of people who are DIYing it, mm -hmm. you know, they don't have these beautiful laser cut pieces of metal that you guys have fabricated that's lightweight aluminum they're building this stuff out of wood and mm -hmm. I know, you know wood is heavy mm -hmm. so if somebody's building out like full cabinetry and beds and everything themselves out of wood maybe they probably want that higher ratio because their vehicle's probably going to be pretty heavy especially if they plan to tow i would say okay. that's a good yeah. assumption yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah so yeah you, you're going to have a heavier vehicle um and so you do need that to it to run at higher rpms basically is what it changes is, right. is the rpms it runs at and, uh, and then it gives you the ability to still tow without feeling like it's pulling you down the hill instead of up the hill. <laughs> okay. All right, so let's talk about wood. You guys obviously don't use it because you've got the resources to do custom fabricated, you know, T-slot metal thing. That's sort of one of the things that set yours apart is you have sort of an endoskeleton here that you can modularly attach different things to. But obviously DIYers like to build stuff out of wood because anybody can do that in their garage. What's... Uh, you know, like pros and cons of using wood. Okay, well, I think uh, this is one I talk about every day. Um, <laughs> uh, so um, the story goes that Jared here is my son-in-law, and uh, so they say. Yeah, that's so, they, so say. they say. And we can we some could, days, some we, days I am. <laughs> <laughs> and we can talk about how we all got the van fever at some point, but. Um, but uh, to, to skip through how everybody got the van fever and just get to our first van, our first van was actually out of wood because um, Jared was actually building a van for his father-in-law, for me, um, because I love to cycle and love to be active. So he was building uh, a camper van for us and he built it out of wood. But uh, he made it clear to me when he built it um, that this is not how we will want to build a van. You, ultimately, your van does not need to be out of wood. Um, and uh, I and I, I asked him why, and he said, uh, wood will warp, it will shrink, it'll expand, it will squeak, it will rattle, uh, things will come loose, uh, and it will smell ultimately like your grandmother's house. <laughs> and so, and I, I'm like, what do you mean? Well, you know, it's a camper van, so you're going to have this opened up to night air. It's ultimately going to mildew. So a lot of things that he started explaining to me, which frankly, Tyler, was counterintuitive for me. Because when I was thinking about it, I'm thinking, and, and growing up in the RV business, you know, you, you see things made out of particle board and melamine and, and you know, typical cabinet material. Right. But the thing I, after he said that, I'm like, now I know why. Now I know why all the doors were loose. Now I know why it snuck. Now I know why it rattled all the time. And what he said was, you cannot get wood ever cinched down tight enough to keep it from rattling. Because when you think it's tight, it, it might shrink on you uh, in the mm -hmm. middle of the winter. And now it's not tight anymore. <laughs> and so uh, the thing about the way that we ended up building is you would think, again, counterintuitive, you would think that aluminum would rattle, right? Because it's hard and it, it's... Uh, uh, if you clang it together, you know, it, your, your intuition would be, well, that would be noisy. But it doesn't shrink. It, it doesn't warp. It doesn't stink. You know, it's nearly indestructible. And so, um, you know, there's, uh, and, and you can cinch it down tight and keep it there. And so, literally, you can get it to where it won't rattle. You know, it won't squeak. It won't rattle. So, so positive uh, pros and cons, wood versus um, how we build our vans. Everything we 
well, build out of is marine grade. As you look at this, we're sitting in a van, by the way. I don't oh, yeah, know if I we meant mentioned. to mention that when we started. We're actually recording <laughs> yeah. this in one of your vans. Yes. So if you look at the floor, uh, it is a, a rubber floor. Nothing about the floor absorbs water. Underneath that is metal. The, the, um, the insulation we use is, is, um, is foil and plastic backed, so it doesn't absorb uh, water. Um, the even even our ceiling material looks like it would. It doesn't absorb water. It's it's more like uh, the kind of material you'd have on your patio furniture that doesn't mildew, doesn't absorb water. The aluminum, of course, doesn't absorb water. Um, so we're even night air moisture. And so um, uh, that's really the pros and the cons is is uh, are, are really those things. Um, now you mentioned uh, DIY, and I want to address that real quick. If I can, unless that's a question for you. No, I actually okay. had on here just on my notes, DIY versus pro. Obviously, you guys want to sell the pro approach. Yes. There's a lot of people that like to build out their vans. You know, like it's fun. It's a yeah. project, yeah. Yeah. you know. Yeah. So that <laughs> that we like DIYers. We like the whole spirit behind the person that, that feels that way. Um, we're, we're really, our number one customer is that person. Um the, the DIY person is who loves us. And the reason that they love us is that the things that, that uh, you know, you can't see uh, that are, that really take a lot of expertise, um, you know, doing your wiring right to where you're not running wiring across rough edges that ultimately leads to shorts, which ultimately leads to fires. Uh, and making sure you're not uh, putting dissimilar wiring together, which causes uh, what corrosion and and ultimately failure of the wiring. So making sure that the stuff you can't see is done right is extremely important. The thing about our vans uh, earlier, Jared said we're not really a custom van builder, but but really we 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 aren't, but we are because we give the customer uh, the the ability to to do exactly what you're talking about. <coughs> Sorry, we really are the the DIY spirited person's best friend because we give them this skeleton grid of everything done um, very well all the stuff you can't see done well and we give them this grid to work with to really modify the van and customize it uh, you mentioned the word modular earlier we also refer to these vans and you know maybe uh, more modern terms as transformers and we give uh, the DIYer the ability to get this van uh, with the foundation done right and then they can really take it from there you see all this track that's in here they can add and move things around and just have fun with this van so uh, what we found is the person who starts out DIY with wood and they're trying to figure out the electrical and the solar um, we get a lot of trade-ins let me just put it that way <laughs> because they see what once they find us they see I can really make this my own I mean it's not like wood where once you're done you're done I can I can get this van and change it and make it my own so it's still a DIY approach if that makes sense right, right. and customizable by build everything that's so, right yeah. that's right yeah okay so we're veering we're <laughs> into uh, sales pitch territory here so we'll, let's, let's scoot back to uh, just kind of some general questions. And, and just so everyone knows, the two episodes after this one, there's going to be one purely on electrical and then one purely on, like, all of the insulation and other creature comforts that will really kind of go way deeper on those two categories because those are two that you guys get a ton of questions on as yeah. well. And and areas where I've had a ton of questions as I'm starting to build a van out. Um, okay. Uh, 
four-wheel drive versus all-wheel drive versus two-wheel drive. How do you, like, what are your recommendations on those? Once again, it, for me, it boils down to what are you going to use it for as a customer? Not just that, geographically, where do you live? You live in Florida or do you live in the mountains? You know, I mean, so like specifically you, Tyler, you're going to be living in this van, using this van remotely or typically where? I've, for us, like literally all over the U.S. and some into Canada. So right. like we drive everywhere. So my second question to you would be, um, what time of year are you going to be using this van, like particularly in the north? Yeah, uh, mostly summer. So so you're not going to be doing a ton of traveling in the winter. Um, you're not going to be using the vehicle possibly where you have to worry about snow necessarily, uh, if I'm hearing you right. But you still are going to be potentially going up into Canada where sometimes the roads are nothing like they are here. Um, you're going to be going to areas for um, like downhill races, things like that, where you're going to be on gravel on the side of mountains. You're going to be in places where you get yourself into positions regardless of the time of year. And so for me to you, uh, my thing would be, you know, is it going to be something where you have to worry about dropping it down into four low because you're climbing a steep grade consistently? Or is it something where you're going to be holding on, you know, an all wheel drive because you got four independent wheels? That's going to give you the features you need for those few times uh, of needing to get out of a pinch. Right. And, and so it's for myself, you know, growing up as a farm boy, two wheel drives, you, you, you never have a two wheel drive on a farm, <laughs> you know? Main reason for it is because you can't have fun in the mud. <laughs> you know, right. it, it has nothing to do if the truck's useful or not. It just has do with if, if you can have fun with it and that's where you know i i put it on the the customer of of asking them a series of questions of you know if if, if you're telling me that you're using this van to go south in the winter and you're going to use it around the south and in florida you, you don't need four-wheel drive and you don't need all-wheel drive you know two-wheel drive suffices for you if you're going to do full-time highway driving um you know highway driving is great for a two-wheel drive as well and if you think you might get into rain areas, you might get in your into some areas of snow. You know, change the tires. Go to a KO2 all-terrain. You know, that's what we put on our vehicles. They do great in the snow. Um, I drove a amazing. Qu- They're I, amazing. They are, and I drove a Quigley all last winter, um, except for whenever I wanted to have fun in the van, the KO2s did everything for me in two-wheel drive. Hmm. Um, but we have some customers who you know they live or or have like a cabin house literally up in the mountains um and it's physically needed of a four-wheel drive to get up you can't get enough momentum <laughs> yeah you, you physically right. can't get there i, I said this is maybe a dumb question but like not everybody knows the ford and the mercedes sprinter are rear wheel drive when they're two-wheel drive they're a rear wheel drive right that's correct and i think the dodge promaster is the only front wheel drive that van. is yes. correct that yep yes. yep that's okay. correct right on and then so i didn't even know honestly that they made do anybody make all-wheel drives, or do you have to do like a, a stock or a Quigley conversion to get 4x4? Four four? Uh, so to, to get to a true 4x4, four four, um, true 4 on the floor, like I call it a 4 on the floor because you, you're, you're truly locking in your front wheels. Um, that is done by a Quigley Upfit, um, or there's a few other um, four-wheel drive, but but we, we work directly with Quigley themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, They're the only company where the Ford warranty won't be void. If Quigley does the upfit, okay, yep. cool. And then, um, and then, as far as all-wheel drive, that's something that's new to the Ford Transit of 2020. Hmm. So you can order a Ford all-wheel drive, 
Um, now there are obvious differences between an all-wheel drive and a four-wheel drive, um, you know, and it just boils down to, you know, what is your uses? Um, there's going to be very rarely that I'm going to tell you that, um, you know, an all-wheel drive won't suffice for everything you need, but there are those areas in Moab. There's those areas in the mountains. You know, there, there's those areas where you need that true four-wheel drive to get around to safely, you know, navigate roads. Right. You know, not just have fun. So if you really plan on taking this thing off-road, go with the 404. Otherwise, for like probably 95% of us or more, I'd say that's all-wheel right. drive would be yep. plenty. Mm -hmm. Two-wheel drive probably. Yeah. Yep. I would say that's right. So right. what for the new ones with the all-wheel drive? Like, what does that add to the base cost? Uh, you do have a step up in just the, the vehicle to vehicle, not including the all-wheel drive. Meaning the twenty, the twenty twenty price went up because of the redesign. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now you got matching color bumpers. You got new uh, upgraded headlights. You get um, parking assist. You get front and rear cameras. Um, there, there's other features that tie into that 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 increase that base price. But um, you're looking at going from a twenty nineteen non all-wheel drive because they didn't have it in 2019, to stepping up to a 2020 with all-wheel drive, you're looking in total difference of about seventy-five dollars to $8,500. Oh, wow. Okay. And so, so it's not. And it, the actual yeah. all-wheel drive option is more like $3,500. Mm -hmm. But the 19 to the 20 price, there's an increase as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, having said that, Tyler, I will say, um, you know, as you mentioned, most people actually are fine with a rear-wheel drive. Um, most people aren't even really in need of a of, of a all-wheel drive. Yeah. Um, and if you can, what well, we offer as a van company, meaning we, you can see all these vans sitting around. They're all on lease, you know, or rent or lease and or whatever. So they come back, and so a person really can save a lot of money when you, for for an example, if you step from a 2020 uh, to a 2019. Um, the savings with say 15,000 miles if, if you don't have to have all those new upgrades that the 2020 offers plus the all-wheel drive then the savings between 20 and $25,000 19 off lease versus 20 brand new so that's an option that that we offer which is you know we're, we're when we started this we said we really wanted to make this affordable for everybody and that's one of the ways that we do it yeah i think that's a lot of people are looking for used ones mm -hmm. i mean like a good quality used sprinter or transit is sort of hard to find because people snap them up so fast mm -hmm. that uh yeah like what in your opinion then for somebody looking because you guys have been doing vans and stuff for not just conversions but for many many years yes. like about how far back or about how many miles should be on the odometer before somebody says, uh, yeah, maybe that one's seen a little too much wear and tear. Well, my own opinion, just from, <clears throat> you know, Jared actually uh, has seen us go through an awful lot of vans, and sometimes we'll keep those vans for 70,000, 80,000 miles, and they still seem to run really well. So, you know, I, I have no fear of a van with higher mileage, you know. 70 or 80,000 miles doesn't... Like doesn't, starting your conversion yeah, process with yeah, that, something with 78. It, it truly does not bother me. I mean, and we've actually done those for people. When people say, hey, I want to save even more money, right. then we, we take some of our older fleet and we convert. Now, if you know, hey, I want to <coughs> stick within the Ford warranty, I, I want that. So that's why most of our customers... They save that twenty to twenty-five thousand off of the the new twenty twenty price and go with something with say fifteen thousand miles, right. and that's that's really what most of our customers do. 
But, you know, uh, we just haven't seen a lot of problems. Uh, keep in mind, and, and we're going into sales pitch mode here, but keep in keep mind, it short. Keep yeah, it short. keeping it short, <laughs> that the Ford F-150, which is what the platform is for this van, the engine and, you know, all the, all the know-how comes from the Ford F-150, and it's been the number one selling truck for 40 years. So they really, to do that, that's almost impossible for anybody to be number one for that long. Right. So to do that, there's a lot of know-how in this van, and that's why, uh, and the repair costs on a Ford with the availability of parts, even you know, even used parts, is so high that it just really doesn't bother me to to recommend. Even if somebody says I want to save some money and I want to start with a van with forty thousand miles, doesn't doesn't really fail. So if us. somebody's looking at a used van, like what are maybe what are the three or four things they should check that tend to be like either see the most wear or some warning signs? What should somebody watch out for when they're they're figuring out whether or not this used van is good for them? Jared would know that. I think typically you're going to know how a van was used. You, you know if it's fully loaded or, or not loaded during its use. A life, I guess you could say, in rental or personal use. When it comes down to brakes and rotor wear. You, mm. know, you know if you're getting a unit where brakes, you know, you get it in. And, you know, typically a dealership's going to change the brakes out. Not very often are they actually going to take the extra step to change the rotors. So rotors are going to give you a pretty clear idea on these transits um, about you know how how much wear is meaning you know how weighted down has this van been you know during how would I tell? during like, its use. I go if I looked at that rotor, what am I looking for? You're going to know it when you drive it. Okay. Uh, you know, it, looking at it is kind of one of those Even things. Even the suspension, you'll kind of know. Yeah, yeah. You'll you, know how. You'll you'll get a feel. Go ahead. Right. Yeah. I mean, and it, that's what it really boils down to is the feel. Now, someone who you you've driven one, very tough for you to know. Um, so maybe go test drive a newer one, and then go drive the used one, and mm-hmm, if it just right. feels totally beat up or like you're gonna what like soft braking, or? soft braking, uh, looseness in the steering wheel because of the front end rattly. Um, mm-hmm, yeah. yeah it, it really boils down to it. Does it feel like this van? has had someone who didn't own it driving it, right. you know, or the person driving it and they don't care how to take care of it, you know, yeah. and that's, it. looseness is the biggest yeah. thing. When you drive it, you're going to know if this thing's tight and still good to go, um, or if you're feeling that, that wear in those rear shocks and springs, you know, wh- where you feel it compressioning when you go over a bump or not. Yeah, and um, is, is that stuff like a bushing thing where you could replace some bushings and you'd be back to good or is that just like a deal breaker no it, it is it everything as far as you know you know brent mentioned you know we we run some units we'll run some units past you know 90 100,000 miles in just our rental fleet um simply because they're a good strong unit and the use on them has been you know it's been it's been fair the, to the, vehicle. the luck of the draw we had right. people that took care of it right? yeah. And, yeah and you know some units at sixty thousand miles you start to feel certain things start to just loosen and and everything on the base of a transit and anything we have foreseen as becoming a problem is all replaceable um it takes it right back to to new Hmm. Um, and so, you know, uh, shocks, things like that, you know, we're talking about parts that just aren't wickedly like ball expensive. ball joints and, yeah, right. and all that and, kind of thing. And so it's it's a matter of, I mean, you can put kind of, at 100000 you could put kind of everything that I would say could start to show wear. Um, you could replace everything under a unit, and, and you'd be good as new. Yeah, and, yeah, so, and it's really... So yeah. what is the deal breaker? And what, what, if I looked at that and tested or something and knew that all that was fine, but then... 
this other thing? Like, what are the things where somebody could look at it and be like, yeah, I'm, no, I'm not buying that? Well, honestly, the way the way a van looks like it was taken care of is probably the way it was taken care of. Just a good rule of thumb. Right. If you, if you look at a van and, you know, uh, body-wise it's pretty well taken care of and you look at it and... And you can tell they didn't just haul gravel in the back. You know, it's just not all scratched up everywhere. It looks like somebody cared for it. Probably it is. Um, and so, yeah, as Jared said, ball joints can be replaced. You, you can replace almost everything, and relatively inexpensively. I mean, it, it only thing is the engine and transmission, and that's never cheap. Um, if you if you get in a van and uh, uh, you just feel that something's not quite right, you, you probably should shy away. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and that's one thing that we do. When we do build on our units, you know, we're picking from inventory of, of hundreds of vans. And I hand pick what technically goes through our, um, it's a it's a large point inspection. It's a, it's a used car lookover is what it is. We take all standards, whatever standard is, we basically go far above that to become a van do it standard to go from our fleet into the actual upfitting side of the company and so it these vans have to meet massive standards um and a lot of those things is is a lot of units get x-nade because you know the it's it doesn't have an engine tick but it just seems like maybe something along the lines got a little bit out of whack and and those are the little things that you can pick up on what what you're talking about is part of why we build on our own vans and not that we've never made an exception to the rule where somebody says hey would you build on ours but uh typically we like to build on our own because we know the history you know if you bring me a van if you bring us a van you know where's it been what's it been through um we want a person to be really happy with their van and so mechanically we want it to be sound we we know if our vans have been in wrecks we know that if they have you know if what kind of mechanical the servicing uh, but we don't know that about uh used vans coming from somewhere else and so things can be masked pretty good so that's that's really part of why we like to build on our own van plus on our own stuff we can offer a service contract that really gives you the warranty of a new one, even if you start at 50,000 miles. Okay. All right, so I think one of the big questions a lot of people have is, how do I get RV financing? Because with that, you can get 15 or sometimes 30 years on a loan instead of like five or six, which can mean a really low monthly payment. Right. That's really my territory, and it's something we I, you know work with that department every day. Uh, but, um, you know, Coming from the car business, we just have a lot of network relating to financing. We probably have 15 lenders that we that we work with, um, and uh, so we do have RV financing um, capability. And most of the time, having that ability uh, to get RV financing really has to do with more with who you're dealing with than 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 anything else. So Mm -hmm. we. So it's not a build criteria. Like I had always heard, if it has a fixed toilet in it. It can be considered a home, quote unquote, mm-hmm. uh, and then you can get an RV loan. It, it isn't really that way. Huh. Um, m- most RV lenders want to know who they're dealing with. You know, they aren't. So, for example, just as, as an example, they're, pro- they're not going to give an RV loan. You're not going to be able to take a do it yourself van uh, to, um, to an RV type lender. Um, and because it's got a toilet in it, get an RV, get RV financing. Okay. And so if you follow me, that's an exaggerated approach. But then even, you know, um, they, you bring a van that's uh, kind of an unknown um, factor, an unknown van to some, to some RV lender and say, hey, I need 
I need RV financing, and they don't really know that van or that van company, you're not going to get it. Um, in our case, we have the relationships. And, um, uh, you know, we, we, we do go through inspections uh, that allow us to be classified as an RV. So, so what, what uh, technically classifies it as an RV? Or is it... It, it truly does come down... You? Yeah, no, it truly does come down to... You know, we're part of NHTSA, and we're part of RV Association. Um, so that's part of it. That's just part of it. And um, that's what the lenders look for, you know. Mm. What, what are you doing? You know, who's looking at you? But then also, um, it does come down to... Uh, you know, what's the relationship with the company? Uh, they actually come out and inspect. We've, we've The number of lenders we've had out at our factory just looking things over is incredible. So they literally come here, they see who the people are they're dealing with, what's their experience, you know, are these the kind of people who have been in and out of different businesses and are gonna leave the customer high and dry, leave us the lender high and dry. So there's a, a lot of factors, but in the end, it truly can come down to, does it have a sink and a toilet? But first, who are we dealing with? What is the product we're dealing with? And then if you can buy, if you can pass that stuff uh, and they feel confident about who you are and, and what you're building, then is it an RV or a conversion van? Okay. And, 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 and what separates the two? Like, it, it truly does sometimes come down to, does it have a toilet and, a, and running water in it? Mm, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So can you, can you get an RV loan on a vehicle that doesn't have running water or something in it? We can, yes, but traditionally no. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right on. Yeah. And again, it's just has to do with our network. Very good. And well, that sounded sales pitchy, but it's not. That's literally. Yeah, no, that's, no, that's literally a great the answer, truth. Because yeah, I think people, like, yeah. like I said, like yeah. I thought if it had yeah. a toilet in it, it was an RV. All, yeah. All done. Go right. to the bank and. Right. Why not? Right. Well, yeah. and they compare it to. They also compare it to price point. So when you when you start to stepping up to six figures and above, you start to build go way above and beyond like big RVs can be three, four hundred thousand million dollar RVs. You know, they want running water, toilet, they want sink, they want cooking area. They do that to kinda hold people as a value perspective of like, okay, we're lending on this. What all actually does it have? And then for us it comes down to a matter of, you know, if you're if you're looking to do R V financing on a fifty thousand, sixty thousand dollar build, it's like, hey, does it have a spray nozzle in it somewhere? Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. You know, it just, it really does come down to the rapport, the customer, the background of the customer. And then with us too saying, you know, we build multiple of these units every day um, and they're willing to back us just as much as back the customer financially. Yeah, that's right. really, they're really backing, um, backing us and what we're building more than just does it ha have running water. In it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So a bit of a tangent, but I wonder then like if, if I, like to say me, had done a custom build and all that, mm -hmm. but it was on a newer van, like the van didn't look like a total piece of crap, mm -hmm. but I had a great relationship with my bank. Like, mm -hmm. is there a chance that the bank would just go on our relationship or is it still going to be like... I would say uh, to each bank its own, um, you know, but what I've seen is no. Okay. I mean, I think it would be uh, a rarity uh, for them to... They'll, they'll probably go with you on some sort of a traditional loan. And most banks kind of get a little edgy. They get a little bit nervous after five years. Right. So they probably will go with you on a 60-month loan. Um, if they look at your van and they say, yeah, look, you know, it looks like something. You know, it doesn't look, do it yourself. Mm -hmm. um, but to get RV financing, uh, really, there's very few RV lenders out there anyway. So... But your your personal bank probably doesn't even do RV loans in most cases, and right. and if they do, they still want to loan it on on something that's a known product. Right. But okay. the only time we've seen is like like businesses 
businesses, you know, people buy them for business use. People buy them for the use of, of business for, for all reasons. Um, in those cases, usually about the only way we ever see it, once again, is, is credit line. It's, it becomes more of a business loan. Right. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. It's more of a, uh, you've got a great business and a great business plan, and you need this vehicle as part of your business. So we're kind of making you a loan. They make a business line yes. of credit. And yes. And the company yes. does whatever they want. And the, and the vehicle's part of that. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right, so last one we'll wrap up this episode with is totally unrelated to the vehicles themselves, but like somebody has a van, they're driving around the country, and they don't want to sleep in a Walmart parking lot, which from my own personal experience are excellent places to stop and sleep. <laughs> yeah, I love them. <laughs> where, uh, where are some other good places to stop and sleep? Of course, Walmart is great, and I, I, I truly I, I'm a fan of Walmart, and I, I, I am so happy that they let people do what they do. But uh, there are a lot of places that you can sleep. And honestly, you see trucks at truck stops, and they're sleeping there. Um, one thing that I do is get away from the, the trucks are usually running, so I get away from the trucks so that I'm not smelling the fuel and hearing the engines. Right. Um, uh, or hear them when they take off in the mornings. Yeah. But I still, they have no problem, uh, you know, just like Loves or whatever. doesn't have, or Pilot, they don't have any problem with you camping mm -hmm. there. And you've got showers and you've got food and you've got, you know, lots of things that you can use if you want to. Um, Tyler, I'm going to give you a secret. Uh, today I'm going to give the listening audience a secret. And it is called uh, Anytime Fitness and Planet Fitness, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a Planet yeah. Fitness. Uh, for a very low price, uh, they're open 24-7. And you literally, when you buy a Planet Fitness or an Anytime Fitness membership, you're, you're buying the use of that location 24 hours a day. So you literally have the right to to utilize that location for whatever your needs are, and so uh, that's a great one. Yeah, um, I was gonna say somewhere like ten bucks a month or something. Yeah. Or ten yeah. bucks a well, month. You, yeah. So you're getting showers with that. Yeah. You're getting <laughs> weightlifting. Right. Yeah, I mean, you're getting <laughs> even a smoothie you're, shower. Go in and run. You maybe even get a tan in some of the places. You know. So so <laughs> that is smart. literally my favorite. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, but there's there's some other things like hospitals are great because. Mm -hmm. Hospitals have great uh, security, lots of cameras, people coming and going, um, you know, decent lighting, and we, we, we block out all the lights, so it doesn't matter. But, you, you know, decent lighting is good for security yeah. purposes. They're open 24-7, so if you needed to go in and for... something happened to you. Yeah, right. right there. And, they're, and it's, you know, it's uh, typically... Uh, you know, it's it's good. They're very... They're, they're, they don't have a problem. They're, they're very inviting of, of anybody. It's a hospital. You know, yeah. what can I say? Churches are also really pretty good. So that's the quick answer. There's a whole bunch of stuff. Right, you know, right. No, that's a good... There's a lot of I stuff out there. I never even thought of the Planet Fitness. That's kind of brilliant. So awesome, guys. Well, let's uh, wrap this one up and stay tuned for part two. We'll go to electrical next. And then part three, we'll do uh, creature comforts, which has quite a wide range of topics. So all right. Stay tuned. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, thanks for tuning in. If you want to check out the Banduit factory tour with the video and photos and everything to show how they go from passenger van all the way to a fully equipped, adventure-ready, off-road camper van vehicle, then go to bikerumor.com and just search the word Banduit. That's one word, V-A-N-D-O-I-T, and you'll find it. If you like this episode, hit subscribe and give us a rating and review on your favorite podcast player. That really helps us grow this thing and get better and better guests for you. Thanks a lot, and we'll catch you next time.